Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. It's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk Man, I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Just don't go set up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's presentation. First, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Terrific. And the third member of our team, because he is a renaissance man, he wears many hats for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge each and every weekday from 3 to 7. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he's a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro, brother, as always. I do my best. As always. All right, so I need you guys to help me through the show this week. I've got basketball on the brain. <laughs> um, I had a tra- had the travel day from hell uh, getting back from Kansas City. So I'm kind of a little, little – Rod, you remember the I referenced all the time the uh, Seinfeld episode where Kramer did the Da Vinci <laughs> sleep plan? Yes. 
And he's he's like a day and a half into it, and Jerry's like, "How you feeling, Kramer?" He's like, "I'm a little mossy, Jerry. A little mossy. <laughs> feeling a little mossy right now." Um, so as I get back into spring football mode, right? I know you stay in football mode. Uh, any? Do you hear any buzz? Any residuals from uh, your boy Shano being in town over the weekend? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I didn't really talk that much football stuff uh, with Shano, so I just, mean, just your, no, just probably just your standard fare. Yeah, uh, like I, yeah. I mean, he's he's got a lot going on. I mean, he had to. Fly right up to NF owners' meetings and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, Indeed. not a lot of stuff about that. Let me ask you this: we we've talked a lot about this, and maybe this will be some rehash. Maybe some people that are listening to the Blitz for the first time will will find this new. What ver- let me ask you this: what version of the how we'll call it the uh, the millennial Mike Shanahan offense? Right, I guess that's what we can call it: the Kyle Shanahan, Matt Lafleur. Mike McDaniel, what what version of that offense is your favorite offense? Like when you watch these guys, Sean McVay, when you watch these guys in the league, which version of that offense do you prefer? In other words, if Rod Babers is named, I'm general, you're named general manager of NFL. There's a 33rd expansion team, and Rod Babers is the GM. Which which offense do you want to try to replicate? Um, well, I think they're different questions because my favorite is is Shannon's version. I mean, Shannon's got it's positionless football, so I think that's to me was the most thought out version of it. Yeah, and that's probably the toughest to replicate, though. So you can't just go anywhere and find Debo Samuel's or Christian McCaffrey's or Kittle's probably the easiest one you can find. Even though use check is really tough, yeah. it's taken him forever to kind of reconstruct that version of it. Mm-hmm. So it's really tough for anybody to be able to replicate. It's going to take them a long time. Okay. Um, and I think really kind of the last piece for him he was trying was quarterback. They really tried the Trey Lance experiment, hadn't worked out just yet. And then now Purdy, I, I think, may end up being the starting quarterback for it, which is crazy. So it, they got to give him time to kind of fake Purdy. push it over the top because I think that's what the Christian McCaffrey deal was, him just mm-hmm. doubling down on yeah. his philosophy. And I think, you know, for others to try to, you know, replicate that is really really tough i think the easiest one to kind of replicate that's uh, that version of it from that group would probably be the uh matt lafleur version of it and that's probably the closest version to sarks sorry if you look at all those you know shanahan kind of replicas across the nfl now that is probably the closest to sark ton of pre-snap motion, loves to targets to motion, uses two tailback sets yeah. actually uh, as well, and he wants a you know a, a pocket-passing quarterback that can make all those unbelievable throws that you need. Okay. And he also likes 12 personnel. The Packers love to use multiple tight ends, and Sark is big on using multiple tight ends too. So that's probably the one closest in scheme and concept to Sark. Right. You're taking me exactly where I wanted to go. I've been thinking about this. And just in terms of maximizing the Texas offense, right? Because I still think it can be elite in terms of production. You're just going to have yeah. to get there by different means than what you did last year. Of course. What What is missing? Like, when you look at these pieces, right? We know the, the pieces right now you've got in spring are pretty much going to be the pieces you have in the fall, mm-hmm. probably with the exception of a, a healthy Isaiah Nayer, and maybe you add a tight end in the portal, like we talked about last week. What is Sark missing, Rod, that you feel like if he goes all in on that coaching tree, that offense, and he decides, I guess, first of all, it would have to be his decision that, okay, Matt LaFleur is probably the closest version of me. What can I do to get that, and how do I use that methodology to maximize this offense? What is he missing? What is the next step for Sark to take? Mm -hmm. If, indeed, he's talked about that's the coaching tree he looks at, those offenses. 
to get to where those offenses are, what is he missing? What's the step that Texas needs to take in 2023 to get there to help you maximize this? Mm, that's good. Um, honestly, I would. it's probably the biggest issue from last year was the, the passing game and how the passing game was constructed, right? With It, did, it wasn't necessarily a quarterback-friendly offense all the time. One thing about Matt LaFleur's offense, it's really quarterback friendly. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, Aaron Rodgers gets it. It's probably just Aaron Rodgers friendly. <laughs> we'll see if it's quarterback friendly when Jordan Love does it, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that back. So, but but it, with, with, with Sark, same thing, right? We saw at times, you know, with Quinn Ewers, there were things that Sark expected of him that that weren't really necessarily in his in that point in his development necessarily the wisest way to either bring him along or to try to maximize his skill set. And we saw later on in the season, quick game, quick game, quick game, quick game, quick game, started getting the ball out of his hands, high percentage passes, less big shots down the field constantly. And I think if if he's going to, you know, build a passing game, and he said his biggest issue or the biggest, you know, priority for him in offseason was fixing the passing game. Mm -hmm. All right. If he is going to fix the passing game, you've got to make it as Quinn U.S. friendly or as Arch Manning friendly or as Malik friendly as possible. And I think I think Sark at times struggled with that last year. He fell in love with the golden arm. We yeah. all did. Uh, quarter of the Bama game, Oklahoma, oh God, that Oklahoma game. And I think after that, Sark wanted every game to look like that. No, every game didn't look like that. Well, because if you could the, bottle that, and uh, if you could bottle that and drink it, I'd OD on exactly. It. But we know <laughs> now. We know looking back on it, Oklahoma defense was struggling. We probably hit them at that lowest point as a as, right. Yeah. right? Oklahoma at their lowest point all season long yeah, for the last and twenty then, years. Yeah, and we know schematically, Nick Saban loves man coverage, and he told his dogs, "Hey, man, this youngster. They say he's uh, they say he's you know one of the greatest, highest rated quarterbacks in the history of recruiting. Let's see about that golden arm. Let's play man coverage. Well, man coverage is easy to read." Man. Mm-hmm. Cover just got to throw it to a spot, and that golden arm can make all the throws. But when that golden arm's got a process, that golden arm is attached to a shoulder, where that shoulder is attached to a body, that body's attached to a neck, a neck attached to a head. When I got to force that head, that brain that's in that head to process information rather than just throw into man coverage, which is easy to read pre snap, and he's got a different pre snap read than his post snap diagnosis, then we got something. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody figured out about Quinn Ewers. Yeah. And that's fine. That's just quarterback development. He'll, he'll figure that out. But I think for Sark, Sark was a little stubborn and wanted to kind of force his quarterback to be the the golden arm uh, prince that was promised for everybody. He's like, no, no, no. Let him just work the fundamentals and the easy stuff, okay? Every throw, every game does not have to be that first quarter of Alabama or the Oklahoma game, and I think he wanted that to be the case. And and you go look at Aaron Rodgers. Look at Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay game. A lot of it is quick game and stuff that's out fast. Oh, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. It's out of his hands quickly. It, the spectacular throws for Aaron Rodgers, man, they actually weren't as frequent in that Matt LaFleur offense you were like. They ran the ball more, and he's got the ball out of his hands, and he was way more efficient. Yeah. Yeah, and got- he didn't like it at first, by the way. No, he didn't. He didn't like it. And, even like and he when, didn't like the, the pre-snap motion at first either and the targets to motion, and he figured out, oh, I fell in love with that because it, it, it led to wide receivers having more separation. Well, and he, then he the didn't pieces. like LaFleur stockpiling running backs either. He didn't like that either. Well, and also, yeah. you know, in this conversation, it's also the fit with your personnel that you have, you know, Very because true. it changes all the time. And, like, even under LaFleur, the changes from Adams to, like, you could see by the end of the year the way Watson was used in that – Green Bay offense was one where mm-hmm. it's very similar. Reminds me of the way that Sarkeesian 
uses his guys because he's a guy that can take the top off. But also, he's going to be hitting a lot of quick screens and things that are going to have the receivers out blocking and wanting to have. I mean, he did the same thing with Jamal Williams in the passing game before Jamal Williams went to Detroit. And then this year, it was same way with A.J. Dillon. You think he's a bruiser, but he can catch the ball on the outside. And he like, does, yeah. And that's sort of like, I think you can go back and look at those Alabama offenses where hit what Sark wants is a ton of guys like – because it's how we talked about the issue once Nayor went down, and then you have a guy like X-Men. Well, when you think of this team this year, if, say, Cook has that upside, Worthy has upside, A.D. Mitchell has upside, you know, even yeah. if Nayor's back, he has upside. That room's starting to look a lot like the room where you have a technician in Jerry Judy, but he can take the roof off. Devonta Smith can take the roof off, but he's so much better in the screen motion, mm-hmm. stuff along those lines. The way X-Men's used is most similar to the way Devonta Smith had been used in that. Even a guy like Henry Ruggs could be used in the screen game. Jalen Waddle, I mean, you look at him, a lot of people early in his rookie year was like, I thought this guy was a burner, supposed to take the top off. His ADOT's five yards downfield because he can also be worked all in, but you have all these receivers that sort of have that same ability that can be used for the yak game close to the line of scrimmage in your in chess pieces in your blocking or receiving backs in your tight ends being guys that can also be versatile enough to be thrown to to where you get to that idea of positionless once you start to get these guys that are just versatile in their skill set. But when you look back at those Alabama teams and their running backs, all of them have been able to catch out of the backfield. Brian Robinson did it real well. Josh Jacobs did it well on that team. He also had, uh, hell, Keelan Robinson was on in one of them. Najee Harris was in another. I'm leaving out another NFL running back that was on there. And Jerome Ford, who is at Cincinnati. But like you have all these different guys that have that top-end ability to break a play, but mm-hmm. also have that ability to catch the ball at the line of scrimmage within the framework of the offense and be able to be able to move the chains and facilitate yep. the offense. So that those Alabama teams and that personnel makeup is probably what I think this Texas team for the first time can get near it. It's just now you don't have Bijan and don't have Roshan. So now your question at the running back room is if those guys can do it. But like the way Jonathan Brooks was used in that Washington game, he was being thrown to the outside. I mean, it looked like A.J. Dillon who's split out wide and just catching a ball on the sidelines and running down. Like that's how LaFleur used those backs in Aaron Jones and Dylan this past season, and it could be something similar the way that you have the skill set of the Texas running backs. I just had an epiphany, Rod, based on something you said a couple minutes ago, and it just got my brain working. And I think I've been looking at and I don't want to say everything we talked about up until this point is moot. I just think I've been looking at it the wrong way. I've been thinking about it this whole time from a schematic standpoint, a personnel standpoint, a play-calling standpoint. I think I've been looking at it the wrong way because what you said, Stark's offense not being quarterback friendly, you didn't play to the strengths of your quarterback. Mm. Think about the slow burn we've seen from quarterbacks and when guys turn that corner, and the two I'm thinking about specifically, Vince Young and Sam Ellinger. When Greg Davis and Tom Herman figured out, okay, this is how I get this guy going. Mm. VY, it was a zone read, and you give him that freedom in the run game. We talked about it with Sam. Sam needed quarterback power. He needed the run game. He needed to make contact. He needed to be physical, but it needed to be in a, I guess for lack of a better term, more of a pre-constructed manner than just being like the stallion and just the Mustang running wild. 
make it design runs because once he gets that contact, that's what gets Sam Ellinger going, and then your offense can funnel out from there. So I think that's the key to maximizing this offense. It's not necessarily play calling. I think it's Sark being real with himself and saying, yeah, you can get caught up in Quinn Ewers making that 22-yard out and throwing it on a dime and mm-hmm. the deep shots. But what is it that gets Quinn going? What 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 is it that gets him in the rhythm where he can feel like, all right, now I can just go deal all over the field? And if it's the quick game, then your opening script should be using the hell out of the quick game, not necessarily taking shot after shot after shot. It's a quick game for every quarterback, though. Getting to the rhythm. It's a rhythm, yeah. It's like a, sh- a shooter. Yeah, yeah. You you just trying to get you trying to get into Warming a rhythm, up. and the easiest way to get into a rhythm for a shooter is easy shots, mm-hmm. easy shots. Get into a rhythm. All right, you know what? Came this, and then yeah, and then you kind of you extend the range a little bit. Yeah. That's so to me. That's I agree with you one hundred percent. But he's a Sark to know that. I mean, yeah. I think Sark fell. I think he really did. I mean, it's kind of. I, I, I think he fell in love with the golden arm. I think he, yeah. Yeah. he saw those throws. We all did. We were like, ooh, man. And and sorry, just because he can make every throw doesn't mean he should be trying to make it on every play. Right. Well, and, all right? and I think for, for Sark, he did learn, all right, you know what, I have to – bring him along and develop him a little slowly because, yes, he can make all those throws, but when he's got to process things and then the footwork also doesn't match up, so the brain isn't processing fast enough and then the feet are not, you know, technically correct and then now the golden arm supposed to save all that? No, it didn't, and it doesn't. Yeah. All right, so let's get back to some of the basics, and I think Sark learned that, and that's why uh, I think he really looked really good in that bowl game uh, versus Washington. And so I totally agree with you, 100%. It's almost find out. And Brian Dable does this, right? Brian Dable's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. NFL coaches, because they are stubborn. Some of them are brilliant, but brilliant and stubborn. And it goes back to your quote you always say about why football being a simple game, right? Yeah. And he always said, you know, he talks about it too. Listen, my quarterback can scramble. I'm going to bake it into the play. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm baking it in. My guy can scramble. That's another option. You got to defend. Sorry. I'm sorry. I got to make your life more difficult as a defensive coordinator. Yeah. You got to defend all these route combinations and my best players. And by the way, my QB's going to run. That's part of him to scramble. So he encouraged Josh Allen and he encouraged Daniel Jones to scramble. What hurt Daniel Jones before, because he's, he's a natural scrambler, he likes it, gets him in a groove. Coaches were discouraging scrambling. Stay in the bucket. Yep. Sark doesn't like scrambles. Yeah, right. Stay in the bucket. I, I need you. To, I need you to. Mac I need you to Jones. throw the run. Right. Casey Thompson. We saw Casey. Casey decided. You know what? Nah, man. I'm I'm scrambling. The hell with that. I think he. I think Sam, who was the most scramble happy quarterback in college football his last couple of years. Why? Because that offensive line wasn't working with him. But when they found structure, bam, bam, Sam. All right, to kind of a cathartic way, a positive way to work out his. You know, kind of a foot. He has this kind of football uh, energy because he's an athlete playing quarterback. Mm -hmm. So he's always got to, you know, he can put Sam in linebacker and he'd probably have a lot of fun. But at quarterback, you you have to harness all that. And I think for Sam, he needed to get it out. So Bam Bam Sam was 2018. I got it out. After that, he was a scramble happy quarterback in college football Mm -hmm. because he's going to get it out. And I think the same thing with guys like Daniel Jones and Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. And Brian David went in and said, no, scramble, man. No, 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 it's good. You, every quarterback can't yeah. do it. That's a skill for you to do it. And the NFL now is finally progressing to being a dual-threat quarterback league. So when, every, when they were a statuesque pocket-passing league, everything was like, no, don't scramble. Hell no, don't scramble. You don't want to be out there. Don't get Man, hurt. Yeah, exactly. You're exposed out there. Don't go. No, you want the safety of the pocket. But now, man, the quarterbacks are the best damn athletes on the field. Man, you know, go out there and scramble. They can't. In the open field, you have the advantage. They yeah. can't catch you in open field. So I think now there's just a shift in the, the thought process and the mentality about quarterbacks and their exposure. 
exposure. But that that goes back to what your point is. Mm-hmm. There are some quarterback gurus now that understand that. Yeah, yeah. and like, then if you look at like the added value that comes to that ability when the defense beats you, and then you can still have something to win from. Exactly, and that's sort of where like we even talked about it. You know, with Sark and his offenses of late, because like when Quinn was recruited, he was a guy that he can move and dual thread ish. But like when you watched him, you, people would be surprised. It's like, oh, this guy can run because he was in the pocket all the time and mm-hmm. it was being used the way. And look, whenever Sark's offense was most ideal in Alabama, I mean, Mac Jones stepping back off a of play action because. You had the structure. You had the line. You have mm-hmm. three NFL running backs. You have these guys that will blow the top off. But you got to also respect them in the screen game, so you can't just expect them to go deep. So he had, I mean, it, all those passes looked like that one spring ball pass we saw from Ewers to Nayor. But, like, that's you cut to an Alabama highlight, and it's 75-yard touchdown, you know, to Jerry Judy or whoever it is, and that's just what – his normalization of what what's good offense, what I just came from, this is hitting those home runs. He's like, I got this guy, I got this arm, let's go, and sort of makes you neglect all the other aspects of the game that you have to have too par to be able to constantly mm-hmm. play that type of football. That, if yeah. you get to that point where Texas is getting closer, then maybe you can. It's just Texas wasn't quite there yet. To that point, like, I don't know, Roddy, it's, there's, I guess it's the, the whole there's more than one way to skin a cat kind of deal, but – it's almost like Sark views it as if I'm gonna get a forty yard gain, I want that forty yard gain to be on a deep post. Whereas yeah. I'm like, okay, if you get it on a deep post or to John Tate Cook going forty yards on a bubble screen, what? It's a forty yard gain. What does it matter how you got it? Yeah, yeah. he loves it. We know the deep ball. He, yeah, he has the a fascination with it, but that's, and a fascination that's with that's it. That's that. And I'm not saying start. I think we, in, in his offense, though, he believes that it it plants a seed. I was talking that it the deep ball it yeah. plants a seed of fear. It it, it does do psychological damage to the defense, whether you complete it or not. I, as a defender, will admit right. that. And I think that's what he's obsessed with too. Yeah, I I also look at it though. We talked about this like with the air. And he's an Al Davis. Al Davis. <laughs> no, he really is. Like Al yeah. Davis loves speeding the deep ball. He loves speeding the deep ball. Yeah. Why yeah. Al Davis loves Sark. Um. And your yeah, own personal yes. vices reflect all sorts of things yeah. in life, but if you're self aware, yeah, you can definitely. Yeah, Sark, right. Sark was a Al Davis guy. And Al Davis that. likes Sark. Yeah. Um. But in you know working for North Turner, like North Turner, that's what it is. Like run, 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 deep shot, run, 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 deep shot. Mm-hmm. Go back and watch those old Cowboys games, right? I remember that. Troy Aikman ain't throwing yeah. a lot of quick game. No, nope. it's a lot of oh, play no. action. I'm taking shots. Take shot. Michael Irvin, Irvin Alvin Harper, Novacek down the seat. <laughs> yeah, Troy Aikman's quick game. It wasn't quick game. It's a, all right. Nothing's there. Novacek's open five yards down the field. Boom, check it down. And I love Emmett, Troy Aikman, but Emmett that's the way it is. Quick. I remember that. Um, but no, I. I, we know Sark, like all play callers, like is stubborn. But I go back to like the air raid. We talked about it, like when people scoffed at Mike Leach. Oh, you don't run the ball. Like, okay, I'm throwing it in the flat to Torian Henderson, and he gains six yards. It's still six yards. It doesn't matter if I lined up in an I formation and ran for it or I threw for it. It's still six yards. I'm still moving the ball. Yeah, yeah. Same, that's why, and that's why Casey Thompson going back. You know, then I think Casey had that mentality. He's like, I know Coach wants me to hit that six route, but. Man, I got a wide open. You remember the nine TCU game where they had like a thirty, where that good thirty yard scramble. Yeah. It's almost like he hesitated, and it's almost like you could see Casey processes like, "F it, there's a whole field yeah. of grass where nobody is. I'm and going for think it." Think about this with Hudson Carr. Remember, Hudson Carr was reluctant to run the first year, and ended up with him looking like he was discombobulated a lot of the times, and he looked indecisive. And what happened last year? He ran. 
Yeah. When they gave it to him, when he saw the C's part, I was like, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. He learned from Casey. He was like, no, nah, man, Casey told me. Mm-hmm. The C's part, dude, just take it. Take that. Take the yards they're going to give you, and then they're going to take that away, and it's going to open up something else. And I think quarterbacks should do that more, man. If they you're give it to give, you, take if, it. If you're going yeah. to give me a first down. What? Mm-hmm. All day, every and day, I get bro. to reset the chains. Hell yeah! Hell yeah. Give a yep. damn. Let's go. So I think it's a lesson that was passed down from Sam to Casey and even the Hudson Carr. And I hope Quinn learns it too. It's like Quinn, they gonna give that's you what that. we saw in the bowl game. He, he did, did it in the bowl game. Yeah, it was rare. Yeah, and that's what you know. I know we talked a lot about the bowl game, but Rod, that's really what I hope is. I hope you know we know we knew that was the rare game where Sark's opening script just wasn't. It just wasn't happening that game against Washington. Mm-hmm. But I really hope as Sark looks back at the bowl game and evaluates that film and looks at the adjustments, some of them subtle, some of them big, some of them by happenstance, mm-hmm. and says, you know what? Letting my quarterback scramble, really establishing the quick game, let Quinn get into a rhythm, let him build some confidence. Maybe that's how you just need to – that needs to be part of the fabric of your offense in 2023. Yeah. It, could, it could have been that you just stumbled into it, but that wouldn't be the first time somebody stumbled into a great football innovation. And if you're going to do that, and this is you know this is a deeper discussion because some quarterbacks as runners are more responsible than others, mm-hmm. uh, and some of them are just they're just bad decision makers as runners. Yeah. We've seen these guys, right? Yeah. Um, and even in NFL, Josh Allen's a bad decision maker in my opinion as a runner. Um, Vince Young was famously a brilliant yes. runner. He would never get hit cleanly. Big frame, tall guy. You never saw VY never. get his block knocked off. You're like. How is that possible? B.Y. knew when to get skinny. He knew when to get out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Wilson is famously a really smart runner. You just never see Russell Wilson get hit like that. Some guys, they're not really smart runners. I mean, they you see them get... You know, get obliterated at yeah. times. Uh, Lamar Jackson needs to learn to be a smarter runner. He's a brilliant oh, yeah. runner, but he's a running back. Yeah, he needs to learn to be a smarter runner because then you'll save yourself. So you do got to teach him how to slide. You Sam, be- to Sam became down. a smarter runner during his. It time took in him Texas. a while, but he, he Sam wanted to run people over and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you're right. He had that Andrew Luck. Yeah. They like he also liked getting hit. He did. Andrew Luck was a, up. He was a dumb, Irish, yeah. brilliant mind, yeah. stupid runner. He'd lay out safeties yeah. like he has one of the best hits in college. Like one of the best. He's retired early. It's like yeah. Yeah, no, Erlock, we know that. Yep. What are you doing? We know yep. you're retiring. That's crazy. And so teach them to be smarter with their running And style. there were the, what, the few times Quinn did run, like I remember the first time when he got that big first down out around midfield against Oklahoma, and it's like he was quite aware, and that, that was coming straight back from his injury with the shoulder, yeah. but he was running and then knew where the line was and dove head first to get the ball across the line, but you knew that he was getting down to avoid that hit, even though he was in the middle of the field in scrambling on a big third down conversion to where like you, you can see that like some people some players those quarterbacks that sort of run with the reckless abandon aren't thinking about down and distance they're just going and mm-hmm. don't care like he got the job done and understood the scenario and in, in the situation and he does have a skill set where like you could say he's one of the more athletic quarterbacks in the entire conference and in the country when you get rated that high as a guy that isn't just a pro-style pocket quarterback. It's just he was sort of relegated to that. Yeah, there, there are no back, Drew Bledsoe's or Dan Marino's anymore. No. And then you could understand yeah. the coaching staff maybe wanting to be a little conservative with them this past year because what happened against Bama and he was coming back pretty quick and had that type of injury and you knew that you needed him to sustain the season. So maybe going forward in El you get another year in the strength program and all that. Like we remember body transformation of Colt mm-hmm. from 07 to 08 and Colt turn into like a grown man that was out athleting players and you know the baseline that Quinn started with is way higher than even that so who knows what can be added to it 
Rod, that, that's why I love doing a podcast with you because, uh, like I said, I it just you, you, what you just and a simple answer. I'm like, dude, I've been looking at this all wrong. It's like uh, the answer. It felt like the answer was there in front of me the entire time. I think it um, is for most coaches, yeah. they're problem solvers, and then they realize like, oh, there it is. Like it's it's pre- seems like a simple solution, yeah. but to a to a really you know creative solution, more or less to a complicated problem. Like yeah. that's. That's coaching. That's football theory. Don't be uh, yeah. closed. Right. Don't box yourself out, right. basically. Don't be close to something. Yeah. Allow for any scenario and then see what makes sense. Even if it's uncomfortable for yeah. you. Yeah, for Ryan, sure. Ryan, I know you got to get out of here, but I want to yeah. get, get you out of here on this. I want to ask you about one guy on defense because I know he, he's had a rough go of it at Texas, but it seems like he's going to factor in really important in what this defense does. Are you a believer? In, and Sark said maybe he's turning the corner. He's, he's having his best practices and having the best offseason he's had since this staff has been here. Yeah. Are you a believer that David Benda can run alongside Jalen Ford wow. at that inside linebacker spot? Man, that's a name out of like, nowhere. Like, is David Benda having like a resurgence? Yeah, it sounds from I heard, yeah. yeah. I've read some things. Is it? I mean, can that last with like an, is, with with Anthony Hill there too? Yeah, and and Leonga Le- yeah, had I've a really great good start. About him, they love him. But too. like, can David Benda be one of those guys like a John Harris, where it's like during his senior year, you're like, oh man, I forgot that guy was there, and he ends up having a great year. Like, man, he, what's your confidence level in that? Missouri, show me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to see that. Make sure it's just not a spring. Uh, he's a spring season or spring game spring superstar. Hero. Yeah, those spring season heroes. It's great. But Sean Hills. Yeah, right. I need to see it during the season. And, man, with so much talent behind him, for, if he ends up earning that spot and beating out all those youngsters and they don't, you know, basically those. And Mo Blackwell, too. And Mo Blackwell. And you're, you're a big Mo Blackwell fan. I, I, I think he also can be a guy, especially in the – positionless football era, him being versatile, he can be a guy that can uh, be an impact player for him. If Bender ends up winning that job, I'd be flabbergasted. That would also I'd be blown away. Yeah. It'd be I a just good don't thing see it too, because right like we wouldn't we wouldn't be saying that we'd expect that because the other guys aren't good enough. It would be because he actually is taking a step to improve, which would mean you would then have talented depth. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. He wins the job. It's just saying like he I was, agree with you. Just mean like the deciphering. Yeah, if and, he can pl- raise his play to that point, it actually adds that talented depth. That it's another position group that you had a question mark about, which you then would maybe be like, all right, we have a little leftover spillover talent. And that's good. We can afford an injury, or we can use players in their strengths and put them in the scenarios and not have them be guys that are stretched beyond their skill set or their limit or their snap count. we got to go back and look at the instances of a player having that type of so senior senior season and senior John campaign. John Harris was perfect. Kind of like coming out of nowhere. And we've seen 100. that from Chris Brown was kind of like that. He kind of came out of nowhere. But obviously, yeah. he had, I think he had two seasons where he was really good. But still, just kind of guys who just kind of, I mean, you just didn't expect them. But you remember, I remember that that off season with Chris Brown and uh, Tyler Lendl saying, I got to play him. Yeah. We're like, you got to play who? <laughs> He's like, I got to play Chris Brown. We're like, what? Uh, what? Why you got to play him? He's like, yeah, so I, maybe it's, this is that type of spring for him where he's shown the coaches he 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 has demanded reps and they have to play him because he's been that good. Anthony and that Cook consistent. got Anthony Cook was a little bit like that. Anthony Cook bit. had a it's kind right. of a guy who was just kind of there and yeah. then oh wow he's one of your better guys. Right. Thought, well, he he was he was trying to transfer for a while, yeah. right? and then we didn't know where his mindset was, and then once he got his mindset, played with that nickel. Mm-hmm. Um, for his junior year, and then that the last year he was playing Man, safety. It's like that move to safety just 
yeah, it's almost, the light went off. For yeah, him. It really. It's like, he like it's like, oh my gosh, this is what I've yeah. been waiting for. The fun. Yeah, the and sometimes time. it's just experience. You know, sometimes it's just four, five. No, yeah, you got five, six years of football mm-hmm. for guys. Yeah. Sometimes it's experience, and we've talked about the turnover at Texas. It's been a lot of turnover, a lot of positions where you know different coaches, different terminologies, different coaching styles, and so some of these guys now with some stability, and now finally with some consistency, maybe they will have that type of moment in their senior season. So I don't doubt it. We've seen yeah. it. We've seen it happen too often to yeah, doubt man. that a guy can do it. That's why you're a recruiter here. You got that kind of upside. It's just it's so rare to have that type of path. Usually you see guys flash earlier on, and then you see them progressively get better and better. They have a more of a linear trajectory. That's weird when a guy just has kind of a breakout performance out of nowhere. John the same Harris position. Especially, especially in the, in the uh, uh, immediate eligibility or the one-time transfer era. And in the portal. Even more so. Because those guys don't stick around. They, exactly. they go to a lower level or wherever. Great point. Yep. Yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. You're right. So for him to have stuck around and then to beat out five-star player in Adney yep. Hill, who I think people are beating, Mo Blackwell, who I think we all agree Mo Blackwell should have played more last year, too. Um, that would be impressive. Yeah, John Harris is probably the best example we've seen. Yeah, I was going through in my just, mind, and especially of the people that yeah. stayed at the same position because, like, you'll have your – Chris Whaley's that flipped to D line, but like that isn't yeah. this. This is very different for Rod, a player to stay played, in that position. I, I, that honestly, a lot. honestly, Rod, I think you played with a guy like Maurice Gordon is a guy that, from what I remember, he had just kind of kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, and he, didn't people, do much. He almost gave up on him. Basically, was pretty nondescript. And then yeah. in that 01 season, it's like, oh wow, this guy gained a little weight, moot kicked inside, and plays. now he's a productive yeah. player. It just doesn't happen a lot, like you said. Now with the transfer portal, it's going to happen less and less. Yeah. Um, but man, it, that that is happening. That is a great sign for the defense. Yeah, because that was one of the weakest parts of the defense. Mm-hmm. And now that would be considered a strength then if he ends up winning that job. Yeah. So just some David Bender food for thought on your David way out, Rod. David Bender discussion. I like it. Yeah. Like so it. Uh, Rod, we'll see you next week, sir. Yeah, man. Appreciate you, fellas, man. So I got to get out here early. No, nah, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so that was my show. fault for I didn't think the Rodney Terry press conference was going to run as hey, long man. as it did. Priorities. Priorities. Hell yeah, man! Everybody, exactly. And I had, I had a chance. I had a chance for a Lamarcus Aldridge interview, and I wasn't going. I couldn't pass <laughs> that up. L.A. That's for the other gig, man. That's for the other gig. Did the Mavs fan come out in you and you ask him if he's going to come to the to the Mavs? No, no, <laughs> no. I shell. I shelved that. No. Why would anybody want anything to do with the Mavericks at this point? All right, Matt. Hey, Matt. Wh- while I'm thinking about it, while we're on the subject, you have PFF handy. Yes. Can you? Uh, I'm going to put Matt on the spot right now. Can you pull me up David Benda's – I just want his snap counts for the last few years. Because I remember in 2019, he played a little bit, and then he actually started that game against Kansas that nearly got Todd Orlando fired had they lost that game. I, I really believe Tom Herman would have cut the court at that point. Uh, but he started that game, and that was his fourth game, and they wanted to redshirt him, so we didn't see David Benda the rest of the year. And – yeah, 2020 was kind of a weird year, and then pretty much for the two years under PK, we've seen, it feels like we've seen little to no David Benda. Yeah, I remember uh, at the Tech game, there was a coverage bus early this season, and I remember me and Rod looking around and thought that might have been a Benda play, and that was like the last time I remember. You know what? You know why he was in there? I remember that Overshone was suspended for the first half Yep. for the targeting against UTSA. Yep, and it looks like, he played last year 14 snaps in Week 12, and then, yeah, uh, other than that, he played eight in the bowl game, and 
Other than that, he played the first four weeks, one snap against Bama, 24 versus Louisiana Monroe. Then he played 12 versus UTSA, 17 versus Tech, and then four in week six, which I believe would be Oklahoma. So that was this season. Man. I'll pull up his career log. So basically last year, David Bender was basically a tr- just truly a, a backup player. Yes. 80 snaps, 10 were on kick coverage. He played 55 in the box, 6 on the D-line, 8 at slot corners. He only, so played, 80, big he only played 80 snaps last year? Yep, well, 70 on defense. Jeez. And 55 in his traditional position and then – a big nickel slot corner and for eight and D line for six. What what's what's his high, the highest snap count he's had? Would it be twenty twenty? Uh, I'm loading up his career ones right now because I was on the single season. Yeah, twenty twenty one. He had a hundred ninety eight total, and twenty twenty he had seventy. Oh, and, wow. And, or no, excuse me, last year was seventy ninety two in twenty twenty and twenty eight okay. in twenty nineteen. Okay, yeah, so basically the 2020 season was when we saw the most of David Benda, and it really wasn't all that much. Yeah, 176 in the box of his 198, and he had 17 covered snaps inside there, so not much at all. He actually— Because he was all, he was behind—you uh, had Juwan Mitchell and DeMarvin Overshone. DeMarvin Overshone spun down in 2020, and yeah, it, so he's really been—he would fit that John Harris description of— Guy that just comes out of nowhere and has a breakout season. Like John Harris, I think, had maybe, I want to say it was 13 receptions for yeah. before that 2014 season. And then he goes out in 14 and catch, uh, catches, I think, 68 balls, and he has a 1,000-yard receiver, 1,000-yard season. Yeah, I'm pulling up uh, my old targets chart because, like, it's for every player, like, prior to 2020, and his numbers were just totally – out of this world. So as it loads, it'll blow you away because he ended up having like over 100. And I believe he only, if I'm right off the top of my head, I think it was something like 13 targets or something like that the first three years prior. If David Benda, like to Rod's point, and it's a great point because not only have we heard really good things about Anthony Hill and his progress, but Leongo LaFowle has had a really good start uh, to his time at Texas. Man, if David Benda has that kind of year where he fends those guys off and is a 12-game starter, 13 if you get to the Big 12 championship game, 14 for a bowl game, if he starts those games and has like a even an honorable mention all Big 12 kind of year, it would be that John Harris-like leap. Yes, yeah, so here are John Harris's target numbers. 2011, he had three, two of targets. 2012, three targets. 2013, nine targets. And then it went up to 97 in 2014. <laughs> So he went from having 14 <laughs> career targets to 97 targets the next season. Which Tyrone is, Swoops got really comfortable with John Harris. Yeah, and if you look at implied targets, so this may be your ones that may be borderline throwaways. It was 2, 3, 10, so 15, and then he had 110 after that. Gee, so on those borderline throwaways, that's how many targets he had? Yeah, target share in 2014 was 26.3%. In 2013, it was 2.3. In 2012, it was not even 1%. It was 7 thousandths, and then it was 5 thousandths the year before. So so, his, so John Harris's target share can't even be measured in a whole number. No, not even, not even that. <laughs> a whole percent. It was I, love, I love John 1%. Harris, but man. Yes. So that's oh. about the poster child for what you're talking about. Jeez. 
All right. Yeah. Uh, well, so we'll see if David Benda ends up hanging on to that job and uh, what it means for that linebacker group going forward. That's, that's wild. I just, I just thought about that because, you know, Sark has had good things to say about him. And, you know, Mo, Mo Blackwell is part of that mix. And I love Mo Blackwell as a player. I, I love Mo Blackwell. Like, I, I, I want more Mo Blackwell. Am I giving you some people want more cowbell? I want more, more Mo Blackwell. But, man, if Benda ends up winning that job, like you said, Matt, then that's all of a sudden that's a position where we were talking about it after the 21 season as maybe being in dire straits. Even though, you know, we knew Jalen Ford was on the come up and you still had overshone, but it just felt like, man, we don't know what's, what's going to happen in recruiting. We don't know where things are headed. Uh, the defense was a disaster anyway in PK's first year. But now with the talent you've recruited, You've got an All-American in Jalen Ford. Man, if David Benda takes over for Overshone and there's little to no drop-off in that group, now you're talking about, hey, now you've got some guys for the future, you've got some talented depth, and, hey, just get just get ready to roll. Because at least, at least the guys that would be taking over for the 2024 season, at least you would know, okay, there's some talent there. Yeah, and that's the main thing is if you can get to that point of having talented depth and like me and Rod were talking about this before the show, but a lot of the times when hell, Texas fans just saw it in the NCAA tournament, like how much you need depth because you can't predict injuries and what happens when you are injured. How a lot of the times whenever you're able to have your best season ever, like Texas in 05, like other than the Jamal Charles ankle for a couple games, you really didn't have any injuries in like can you sustain one or two games where somebody that hasn't played is able to step up and have a huge impact in a game? And that's where a guy like Benda would be so big because instead of players having to exceed expectations early on in their career, maybe play beyond their means, now you just got a guy in more of their natural role. And if you lose somebody, you can actually survive it. That, that, it, it there's different levels of it, but that David Bender getting to that level, like being a starting caliber player, a player that can start every game for you, that would be found money. Yeah, or and just a replacement player, the way you hear of war in baseball yeah. or whatever. If you can just get replacement level or above, that's huge. And, you know, there's different levels of found money, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a player that I could put in this description. Okay, Keelan, like Keelan Robinson becoming an asset in the passing game, mm-hmm. that was found money like I found $20 stepping out of my car at the gas station. Yep, this season, exactly. Uh, you know, Ant- I would put Anthony Cook and David Benda in the category of, like, if, like if, if David Benda becomes kind of at linebacker what Anthony, what Anthony Cook was at safety, that's like, hey, I scratched a winning lottery ticket. That's, that's that kind of found money. Um, John Harris is the equivalent of I had a rich relative that I didn't know who died and left me like a fortune. Yes. You know, that's what that is. So different levels of found money. But, yeah, David Bender would definitely be in that found money category. Yeah, found money. I mean, that's why the way Chris Whaley was such a big impact on the D-line in 2013 whenever – years before he was a running back like those type of scenarios they come out of left field when you change positions that's what makes this one so much more impressive being a guy at his normal position to then exceed and do that without having to make changes and man i can't stress enough in the era of one-time transfer in the portal Mm -hmm. for a guy to stick it out that long and like david benda could have he could have gone somewhere else and he could have gone to you know i don't know a texas state or a north texas somewhere like that and then played 
But probably, you know, probably, I'm sure Tom Herman would have had a home for him at FAU. And that's where, like, being a school like Texas does have that added value in certain scenarios. If you're born and raised, if you die, Texas burn orange blood, like, that's something that some players will like. He's like, no, I want to just stay here. Like, hell, Brock Cunningham, the reason why that he's still here for a sixth year. You could tell that kid loves Texas. He could have transferred out three or four years ago to go somewhere where he could play more and have a bigger role. But some people just now, I don't know if that's why David Benda stuck around, but that's something that always can add value where a lot of other schools don't have that luxury in this transfer portal Well, not just era. that. It's not just that, Matt. I think, you know, Tope Amade, I think, is a really good example of this. A guy that, you know, figures out, you figure out your place on the depth chart, but you're like, hey, as long as they're going to pay for school, I'm going to get as much of this education, this free education as I can 100%. get. And then you stick it out long enough, Denzel Okafor got hurt. Tope Amade actually ended up being a pretty dang solid. Can you pull up Tope Amade's PFF for uh, me? Yeah. Yeah. Tope Amade actually ended up being a pretty solid player. I'm not saying he was like an NFL caliber guy, but, you know, you you could have done a lot worse, much worse. And we've seen much worse at Texas than what Tope Amade gave you pretty much from the time Denzel Okafor got hurt in the TCU game, which what was that, game four, I think, from pretty much from – Midway through game four until the end of the season through game 12, Tope Amade was pretty solid. I don't know if you've got his grades in front of you. Was really what I'm I pulling it up. At. I got played 504 snaps. Okay, and what were snap counts like like in the years before that? Uh, 62 in 2020. 2019, it was 23. 2018, he didn't play. I guess it was injury. 2017 was six. 2016, didn't play. He so, was a yeah. He red- redshirted that. Yeah, man. 504 is a lot of snaps. Yeah, man. So, see, it's it's found money. And, you know, I didn't think we would devote this much time on the podcast to David Benda, but David Benda could be found money for this Texas defense. Benda and Amati. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, that's going to do it. We'll pick that conversation back up next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Same as plug. You can also get myself and Craig Waite on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. Thanks to Matt. Get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows, or on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again 
on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.